welcome to the Truth Ward Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have benefited from this podcast or any of Olin's books, we'd like to ask you to leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast or wherever you purchase your books. Now, here's Olin. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. If there was one passage that probably has had the most influence on the ministry of campus outreach and it getting started and still influencing the ministry today, it would be Matthew chapter 9. My guess is being student leaders of this ministry, you've heard it before. Uh, We're going to talk about tonight the need for laborers. And so let me just start with this, just a, a very brief definition. What is a laborer, biblically speaking? So, the, the word literally in the Greek that shows up in the New Testament that gets translated labor, it just means worker. It's just a very average word. A lot of times in Greek it could be used mainly to talk about like a farmer, an agricultural worker. But a lot of times in the New Testament, some of the writers or speakers like Jesus or Paul, they would use it metaphorically to talk about a Christian worker, a spiritual worker. Basically somebody that goes out that tries to teach the truths of the Bible to spread the Christian religion. All right, that's, that's the biblically speaking... We talk about a laborer in a spiritual sense. Somebody trying to go out, teach people about Christ, spread the gospel, see Christianity grow. Now, uh, John MacArthur, a famous pastor, preacher, one of the things he says is, every Christian is a teacher. The issue is just how big is your classroom? Uh, Somebody might speak to a big auditorium with a thousand people. Somebody else might just speak to a little Bible study with two people. That's great. And a lot of you this summer, you're going to be discipleship group leaders. You might only have two or three people. That's great. You want to do the best job you can to steward that opportunity to be a good teacher of what the Bible has to say. You're going to be a laborer, and we're hoping that we're all going to grow as laborers in Christ. So we're going to talk about the problem, all right? This is all still by way of introduction. And I'm going to start, I'm really going to give you a lot of statistics here. And so you can try to jot them all down if you want to. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. I would more just listen and if there's one or two or three that kind of stand out to you the most, maybe write those down. All right, so Barna, y'all know them. They do a lot of famous research. This one comes from 2018. Uh, they asked Christians. All right, so this was a question asked to Christians. Have you ever heard of the Great Commission? Let's just do that in this room. How many of you would say, I've heard of the Great Commission? Show of hands. Okay, almost everybody. I would expect that. That's great. Just the Great Commission being Jesus before he left saying, go to make, make disciples of all the nations. They asked Christians, 51% of Christians said, no, never heard of it. Six people said, I'm not sure. 25% of the people said, yes, I've heard of it, but I'm not really sure what it is. So only 17% of Christians could say, I know what the Great Commission is. Yes, I've heard of it, and I know exactly what it is. That's a problem. How can you be a laborer knowing that you're supposed to go out and make disciples of all the nations if you've never even heard of the Great Commission? Or maybe you've heard of it, but you can't remember it. So we've only got 17% of Christians that say, I know what the Great Commission is. Okay. 77% of highly engaged congregants. So these aren't just the random people that show up on Easter. These are like people that are plugged into their church. Okay. Say they struggle with knowing how to relate to non-Christians. So the vast majority of Christians, and again, these are the committed Christians, going to church, doing the Bible studies, all this stuff. When it comes time to talk to a neighbor, a friend, a family member, somebody at the gym, something like that, they don't really know how to relate to a non-Christian. That's a problem. How can you be a laborer and talk to non-Christians about Christianity if you don't know how to relate to them? Only 60%, excuse me, 66% of practicing Christians 
say they feel confident in their ability to present the gospel to an interested non-Christian and assist them with accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Okay, think about this, guys. Campus outreach is not a perfect ministry. I've been around for a long time. You want to hear some of the problems of campus outreach? Come talk to me. I can tell you some of the problems. We're not a perfect ministry. But one thing God has blessed us with is training people in just how to share the basic gospel with non-Christians. How to relate to non-Christians in a winsome way, in a friendly way, talk to them about Christ. And my guess is, all of you have been on at least one beach project, you've learned how to do that. That is a huge privilege. It's also a gigantic stewardship. Don't keep that to yourself. There is a need for laborers in the world. 70% of non-Christians okay, say that somebody has talked to them about Jesus. That's pretty good, right? 70% of the non-Christians Barna interviewed, has anybody ever talked to you about Jesus? 70%. The majority said, yes, somebody's talked to me about Jesus. But here's the bad news part of it. 43% of them, so almost half said, I do not want to have any more conversation about Jesus after that. It went so bad or so awkward or whatever, the half of them said, I don't want to do that again. It's not good. That's a problem. 47% of millennial Christians say that sharing their faith is wrong. Not difficult, not like hard. It's like wrong, sinful. You shouldn't do that. That's a problem. Christians. Although 97% of those people, the very same people would say, the best thing that could happen to my non-Christian friend is they would come to know Jesus. But they think it's wrong to talk to them about Jesus. You see the dilemma? This is not good. All right. Um, th- this is a really interesting. When they uh, interviewed the group of people that say, I don't have any faith. Don't have any faith at all. And they said, well, have you ever talked to somebody about Christ? Yeah, I did have a conversation. Okay? They said, well, what happened during the conversation? And they listed s- several things that happened. But here was the interesting thing. They said, did they invite you to meet again for coffee, a drink, a meal, something? Only 2%. There were just too many kind of random, kind of like throw-the-grenade conversations. What these people want is a relationship, a, a, a repeat conversation. Okay? We're not doing that well at reaching the lost world for Christ. When they doubt Christian beliefs, what doubts are the most common? There's several, but here's the main one. Hypocrisy of religious people. The people that are talking about Christ, their life doesn't match up. Now, that's a lot of bad news. I don't want to repress us here on a Friday night, so let me give you some good news. All right, 73% of people are open to having spiritual conversations. And guys, I'll just, I have experienced this personally. I travel a lot. And so I'm not a great evangelist, but I try to be a faithful evangelist. So a lot of times if I'm in an Uber with somebody or I'm sitting next to somebody on a plane, I typically, not all the time, but typically will try to get into spiritual conversation. And every once in a while, you'll get somebody that you can tell they do not want to have this conversation. And they make it obvious. Like you start talking and they start putting in their earbuds, right? It's like, that's a clear sign. And just a side note, if that happens, let them go. Don't like pull out their earphones. So you, that, That's the kind of people they don't want to have another conversation, right? But most people, strangers that you just met five minutes ago, if you start saying to them, hey, did you grow up going to church? And you try to turn the conversation, especially most people actually warm to that conversation. That has been my experience, and the statistics prove it out as well. Here's what I think is going. Our, our world is very social because of social media, but it's not very relational as far as sitting across the table looking at somebody eyeball to eyeball. And they're starving for that. And you show a little bit of compassion and interest. And not just to dogmatically yell at them and preach at them. But to have a conversation interactive. Most people will blossom like a flower. And will open up to that.
Okay? Uh, they asked faith-neutral people. Those, those people who say, I don't have any faith about some of their background. Listen to this. Half of them said they previously called themselves Christians. Now, that sounds weird, but to me there's something positive in that. They've got some of the furniture in their mind. They're not like a Buddhist or just a pure atheist. They understand some of the basics of the Bible. And you might be able to get in a conversation and help them understand that better. Okay? And only one out of three. You know, a lot of times what we hear is, man, so much of the lost world just has a terrible negative uh, view of Christianity. You hear that a lot? Actually, statistically, only a third. 33% of the non-Christians say, I have a negative opinion of Christianity. The majority of them say, no, I've got a positive opinion of Christianity. We ought to be more excited to talk to people. All right. I only got about two more stats. If you're enjoying the stats, sorry. If you're sick of stats, we're almost done. All right. Non-Christians say gospel presentations that promote the most openness is 71% a casual one-on-one conversation. That's what they like the most. Okay, close second. 66% a casual group conversation. Handful of people sitting around the dorm room talking about it. 66%. This was shocking to me. A video or a movie. So keep making your TikTok things about Jesus because I guess people are watching them, all right? Only 22% of people like it when somebody just gives them some Christian literature. How about you read this? That's not what most people want. They'd rather have the conversation or watch a movie. And just 20% a random person on the street, that's not their favorite. Now, we will probably do some random talking to strangers on the beach, things like that, once the summer hits. It's not bad. It's not wrong. What I'm trying to say is it's not best. And, and guys, the best thing, we are hoping that you all will grow into lifetime laborers. That 25 years from now, when you're married and you've got a kid and you've got a full-time job, you will still be befriending your neighbors, taking them to lunch, whatever your hobby is, the hunting club, whatever it is, hanging around longer, building friendships, having dialogue, purposely engaging with non-Christians to talk to them about your faith. That's the best way that most people come to Christ. So here's my last stat, I think. When people under 21, and you know, that's when most people come to Christ. One of the main reasons that you ought to be really motivated to go back to your college campus and show your faith a lot is statistically, most people come to Christ in this season of life. And then after that, the stats drop off really hard. They were asked, how did you come to be born again? Only 1% of people said actually came to Christ through watching some kind of media. They might like that, but people typically don't come to Christ through just watching media. 43% said, I came to Christ through a friend or a family member having a conversation with me. That's the norm, guys. That's what it means to be a laborer. That you're out there, small groups, one-on-one, telling people about Christ. All right? Now... So there is some good news from the stats, but the best news, the best good news is from the Bible, Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 35. But guys, the greatest news is this passage starts with Jesus, Son of God, became a man. He left His Father's throne above, and He came down on our turf to seek and to save the lost. And so even on your campus, if you're in a place where, man, I am kind of a student leader now with Campus Outreach, and so I've got all my friends are in campus outreach, and we like to hang out, and we like to do stuff. That's great. It's great to have biblical fellowship with your friends. It's great to have spiritual community. 
But we've still got to be willing to go to the turf of the non-Christian and hang out with them and love them and spend time. And not just always say, come to my Bible study, come to my meeting, come to my church. That's good. And some of them will come. But some of them are like, I'm not coming to your campus average meeting on Wednesday night because I think there's a bunch of weirdos there. And y'all are doing singing and people are closing their eyes and waving their hands and I don't know what that means. Invite them if they don't come. Say, fine, I'll come to your house. I'll take you to eat lunch. Something like that. Get on their turf. Jesus got on our turf. Alright, so Matthew chapter 9, starting verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And that's what it means to be a laborer. And healing every disease and every affliction. Now, He's about to send the disciples out. And we, not, we may not be able to heal people physically, but because God has given us the gospel, and that's the antidote to sin, we can have a part in healing people spiritually just by telling them the good news of what Christ has done for them. And I want us to just look at four things about Christ, the perfect laborer. Okay? The first thing is this. He had passion. Or you could say He had pity for people. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I did a study one time. You can do this. It's pretty interesting if you want to. A different look at Jesus. Read all four of the Gospels and just note all that it says about his emotions. And hands down by far, the one kind of emotional attribute that will be attributed to Jesus more than all of the other emotional attributes is this. Compassion. He had compassion. And one great commentator, a guy named R.T. France, says, literally it's like it means his heart went out to them. Have you ever had that experience? A, a good friend, a good family member, and you can see them and you know they're going through a hardship. And it's like you really, in a sense, you feel their pain. It's like you're moved in your guts with pity for them. Empathy, sympathy, you care. And Jesus was that way. Okay? He's experiencing their sorrow. Why? Because they're harassed, they're dejected, they're oppressed, they're exhausted. They have a lack of direction. There's a place in, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, where Paul says, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. And I think part of what Paul is saying is, when I meet somebody, the main thing I think about is not, is it a guy or a girl? Is it a Greek or a Roman or a Jew or a Gentile? Are they black or are they white? Are they tall or are they short? Are they fat or are they ugly? Or what? It's like, I think about them, they're a soul. They're a human being. They're going to be judged one day and they're either going to spend eternity with Christ in pure bliss and joy or they're going to spend eternity away from Christ damned and suffering forever. And guys, if we started looking at all human beings like that, from your best friends to your family members to the Uber driver to whoever, we'd have more compassion. Okay? Now, very interesting, okay? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I heard another guy teach on this one time say, it's very interesting, the Jews, they had political shepherds, they had military shepherds, they had family leaders, they had all different kinds of shepherds. What they lacked were spiritual shepherds. And the really sad thing is, the Jewish nation was supposed to be a very spiritual nation. They had priests. Just like America's full of churches. But most of the priests weren't doing their job. Now listen, there are a lot of churches in America doing a great job. But there's a lot of churches that aren't doing a great job. 
And we need everyday, average Joe, average Joe, Jane, laborers to go out and minister to these people. Be their shepherds. When you study the compassion of Jesus, especially in Matthew, one of the things that you see over and over is He sees something. He sees people. It moves Him to have compassion in His heart. And then He takes a step of action. He doesn't just sit there and say, that's so sad. I hate it for those people. That stinks. Wipe a tear out of my eye. No, He moves. He does something. He's a man of action. We should be people of action. So, the first thing, we need this kind of pity for people. You want to be a laborer. The second thing is prayer. And we're going to talk more about prayer tomorrow, but I just want to mention it here. Look at what Jesus is going to say. Verse 37, Then He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful. That means there's a lot of lost people that need to be saved. But the laborers, the people, the teachers that can go teach them, and that doesn't just mean professional ministers. It means anybody who can go talk to them effectively about Christ. But the laborers are few. Therefore, so here's the action step, the first action step. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Pray earnestly. Literally, it's beseech, beg, entreat, implore. There's a sense of urgency. When's the last time you prayed like that? Too many of our prayers, they're kind of cold. They go through the motions. God bless me. God bless mom and dad. Help me pass the test. God bless the missionaries. Where's the burden? Where's the urgency? That's the way that Jesus is telling us to pray. Okay? I'll just tell you a little bit of my testimony. Um, I grew up, I, I made a profession of faith when I was like really little, seven or eight years old. Maybe that's when I became a Christian, maybe not, I don't know. But I really started rebelling pretty hardcore in middle school. Like, did you know you could do that? You really could. So I, I, by the time I came into high school, I was kind of an, already a full-blown liar, sneaking out of my house, party animal, doing the whole nine yards. And I had a group of guys, mainly that I played football with, and we partied really hard. Uh, I knew what I was doing wrong. I really liked it. Uh, but the summer before my... Sophomore year of high school, so pretty young, 15. It's like God just did something in my heart, changed me, brought me out of that. That I know of, even to this day, the guys that I used to party with, none of them really changed. Now, maybe some of them have. I've lost touch with a lot of them. But none of them changed through high school and college as long as I kept up with any of them. A couple years later, I went to Sanford, got plugged into Camp Outreach. I came home one time, maybe for a Thanksgiving break or something, I came home early. And one of my sisters, who was younger at that time, she was kind of going through her rebellious stage. She'd gone out. She'd come home too early, drunk, got busted. And, uh, but I was growing. I was trying. I was in college, learning to become a laborer, trying to apply all this stuff. And so I was thinking, I need to pray for my sister. Now, I'm a college student at home on break, right? So I'm used to staying up till midnight, wasting my time. So I was kind of right before I went to bed. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go downstairs and try to get focused and spend some quality time praying for my sister. My dad, mom and dad, both believers, my dad was a small business owner. And he, you know, he's a great man, probably a workaholic though. He probably worked too much. So, you know, he had to get up the next morning, go to work. I didn't have anything to do, right? I'm a college student, I'm on break. As I come downstairs at about midnight to pray, I hear something in the den, and there's my dad on his knees, like weeping and begging God, save my daughter. No. I'm the oldest of five. All the siblings are walking with Christ now. But here's the reason I tell that story. In that moment, standing there on the stairs, seeing and hearing my dad pray, it hit me. Because it had always been a mystery to me. Why did I like instantaneously make a gigantic U-turn 
in my life at 15 years old. There was no human explanation. And ultimately God did a miracle. But the closest thing to a human explanation you can get is, my dad was praying for me. So guys, some of y'all got friends and family members that are far from the Lord. And the best thing you can do is just start beseeching the Lord. Have mercy. And if you're like, but I'm not a very compassionate person, pray for mercy in your heart. Pray for compassion in your heart. You're like, I'm not a very bold evangelist. And I went to Beach Project last year, but every day we did you know, beach evangelism. I skipped out and I lied. and I, don't, I shouldn't even be a root. You're here now. Pray that God will make you a laborer. Pray God will make you more bold. Pray God will teach you how to share the gospel. Let me just share this with you too. This is in the past, but I did, I did this. In some sense, it was an experiment. I kept a journal for 10 years, almost 10 years. I think I cut it off at nine, actually. And I tried to write down every time that I prayed for something really specific, right? So if I was just like, oh, God, help me be a more loving husband, I didn't write that down because that's not very specific. But I'm like, God, I'm praying for my friend Bob to come to Christ. I wrote that down. If I was like, I'm praying for my friend Jane to get healed from whatever, I wrote that down. And I'm like, God, if some extra money doesn't come on at the end of this month, we're going to start bouncing checks. I need this much money to come in. Anything that was going to be specific and I could measure, I wrote down those prayer requests. Does that make sense? And then at the end of the nine years, I went back and I evaluated all of them. All right, so I'm just sharing this. I had 884 requests over nine years. I don't know if that's a lot or a little. That's what I had. 442, literally. I'm not making this up. Exactly half were an exact yes. Like the specific thing I'd prayed for happened by the time I wanted it to happen. 41 of the things was like a no at first, but then it actually happened later. Like it didn't happen when I wanted it to happen, but it happened later. It's like, thank you, Lord, I'll take it. 214 of the things were a no, so that's about a fourth. And then 187 of them hadn't been answered yet, but there was still like a chance it was going to get answered. Now, why am I sharing that with you all? Just, that's not scientific, but it's experiential. It's like, guys, prayer works. God listens. Ask God to do specific things. And specifically in this context, ask God to save specific ones of your friends. That's one of the best things that you can do as a laborer. There's an old commentator, a guy named Stephen Sharnock. He's got this great quote I love. He said, Prayer without expectation of an answer is practical atheism. You may say you believe in God, but if you're praying all the time and you don't actually expect God to show up and do something, practically, you're an atheist. You want to be a laborer? You need pity. You need prayer. And then you need people. Okay? Again, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Sometimes when we hear some of these stats, we think, man, we need some better programs to get people into church. I'm not against programs. But better programs are not the solution. It's better people. It's more mature, godly Christians who aren't perfect, but they love people. And they're praying. They love God. And they're out there trying to be moved to action to love people, to serve people, to share their faith. Guys, just think about the basics of the Gospel. When God really wanted to make the biggest dent difference in planet Earth, He didn't just send a message. He didn't just send a book. He sent a man. He sent a human being. God became a man. The best thing you can do for your friends is go be there with them. Talk to them. Love on them. Talk to them about Christ. And the fourth thing would just be this, and it's really what we're already saying, is just pursue. Pursue people. Okay? Pray for more people to be raised up and then go yourself. Pursue people. Look at just chapter 10. 
And he called to him his twelve disciples. And then skip down to verse 5. And these twelve Jesus sent out. So I love this passage because Jesus is like, hey, the need is huge. The harvest is plentiful. There's so many lost people out there. And they're harassed. They're distressed. They're helpless. And I feel this pity for them in my heart. You guys got to pray. You got to pray urgently. And it's like before they can even start praying, it's like, you know what? You know what else you got to do? You got to go. We got to be going and we got to be praying. Guys, if there are things that we're praying for, that practically speaking, we could do something to help fix the problem, and we're not taking the steps of action, that, that's a hypocritical prayer life. We ought to pray for these people, and then we ought to do everything practically we can to help see more people come to Christ. So, by way of application, I want to say this, and this may seem a little bit of a strange way to end this talk and apply it, but I was talking to a guy with the National American Mission Board uh, for the Southern Baptist, and we were talking more about missionaries going overseas, but same context. College students that want to go overseas and share their faith. And he said they did a big survey to try to find what were the five main obstacles that keep college students from being evangelistic, from being missional. First one, anxiety. Just worried all the time. The second one, sexual sin. Mainly porn. You got all that kind of shame? It's really, really hard to go and be bold for Christ when you feel like you're just dealing with guilt all the time. Third one, they lacked evangelism skills. They're like, I don't really know what to do. I want to talk to people about Christ, but I don't know how to do it. Fourth one, this is really sad, their parents, even Christian parents, were like, we don't want you doing that. We don't want you going overseas. But the fifth one is just fear, which I don't really know the big difference between anxiety and fear. They're pretty similar. And so why do I want to end like this? Because I don't know most of you. I don't know what's going on in your heart and life. But I know this. There is a real spiritual being named Satan and a lot of demons. And if you're passionate about being a laborer and you're here and you want to grow into being a laborer, he doesn't want you to be a laborer. And he wants to do anything that he can do to keep you out of any ministry opportunities. Maybe it'll be anxiety. Maybe it'll be porn. I don't know. Maybe it's something totally different on that list. But what I would say is, know thyself. What's the main thing that tends to hold you back from doing more ministry, doing more evangelism? And then just spend some focused time praying, beseeching the Lord, God, would you set me free from this sin? And I'm trying to make it really specific for you. What I'd really encourage you, hey, we're, we're at the beginning of February, Beach Project doesn't start until May, you've got a whole semester, you've got months. Commit to praying in your personal life for the next three or four months, whatever that is, that God would do a big work to break through and set you free from that sin. So you can come into this summer, not perfect, but really filled full of the Holy Spirit, filled full of compassion, and ready to lead and to evangelize. One more passage, uh, if you want to flip over to John chapter 10, really quick. The Bible often talks about God as a shepherd, and then His people as the sheep. But it also talks about a lot of times that God will raise up human leaders and in a sense they're like His assistant shepherds. And guys, that's a good way to think of what does it mean to be a team leader on Beach Project, a room leader on Beach Project. What does it mean to be a laborer? You're one of God's assistant shepherds. And laborer, just think about that, a worker. It's hard work. It's not always fun. It's not always going to be hunky-dory. 
All right? I mean, Beach Project's fun. There's a lot of beach volleyball, all that other stuff. But especially when you get in the leadership roles, there will be hard works. I promise you. But here should be the most encouraging thing. Maybe you're going to have somebody in your room. You're like, this guy's not a Christian. He's driving me crazy. He's asking me all these questions. I don't know. And he makes a mess. And eats my food. And I hate him. Why did I sign up for this? And I'm not making much money. When it feels really hard, what should motivate you to persevere? John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Verse 14. I know my own and my own know me. The root, guys, to really being a great labor, and we'll talk more about this, is having an ongoing, deeper experience of, yeah, being a laborer is hard work, but Jesus already did the hardest work. He laid His life down in hell to save me, and He rose again, and He set me free. And there ought to be such a wealth of joy and gratitude up in my heart. It's like, if He calls me to do some hard service, I'm happy to do it. Is it hard work? Yeah. But it is much more of a privilege. And I'm happy to steward it. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray right now, Lord, all of us, I hope, are praying in our hearts. We want to be the best laborers we can be. We want to be the best teachers of the Gospel we can be. When we have opportunities to invest in younger Christians to help them grow up. Lord, we want to do our best with Your grace. We want to be good stewards of these opportunities. And Lord, when we have opportunities to share our faith, whether it's with a stranger on the beach or somebody back in our dorm room at college, give us boldness. Give us wisdom. Give us compassion. Let us see more fruit, not for our glory, but for Yours. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.